0: Okay, so um this is something you probably most of you probably never really thought about about the term that I've titled this mes- this this series with is I've titled it "Owning the mission," and uh, so it's uh probably in your mind, there's a lot of things you're thinking about what that possibly could mean owning the mission. maybe I'm, maybe you think I'm going to be talking about trying to convince you all to go to the mission field or anything like that. That's not what this is about. Uh, This is something different, and really, in order to explain it, I have to teach this. So I can't just explain and tell you this is what it means without going through the whole process. So basically, underneath there, the subtitle is finding your role in God's plan for reaching the world. And so, what I want to focus on is is the idea that every single one of us have a role to play in God's plan. And I want to define God's plan for you, His mission, and, and different things tonight. And and uh, so on and so this kind of came up uh, last year at vision conference I did something that I've never done at vision conference before and it came out of my mouth without me even realizing that I was closing up one of the evening services and and uh, I just it was after the main speakers had speak all those all those preaching had been done and everything and I was just kind of concluding the service and and uh, I just said you know if you God is leading you to to respond if he's calling you come forward right now. Nobody came. That's okay. Nobody came because probably nobody had thought about it. But it's been on my heart ever since that that, uh, Vision Conference 2021 that we need to make sure that people know that, that God is calling everybody at some point in time to do something, not necessarily go to the mission field. But that's actually not even a correct statement, but I can't explain it until I go through the lesson. So, so anyway, so Brian and I have had talked about this for a long time, and I told him this is what my heart is. I think we need to make a make a concerted effort to 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 change the perception of what missions is when we talk about missions. And he said, "Okay, teach it." Ah, uh, thanks, Ron, or Brian. I appreciate that. Uh, so anyway, that's kind of what this is all about. So this is tonight is just kind of an introduction kind of thing. And it's not that I don't want to teach it. Don't get me wrong. It's not. It's not that I don't want to teach it. It's just that, um, you know, I had a thought, and he's and he. So now I had to, to develop it, which is good because it it really helped. It's been helpful for me to go through this. But anyway, so let me just say this. Um, in so your handouts basically is everything that's on the slide. Maybe there might be a, a line or two that's you know plus or minus, but pretty much everything you can track along with me and keep up with. You know, if you want to take notes or so on and so forth. Uh, But let me just say, let me start with this, this this statement right here. Uh, To the church, I hope you can read all of that, to the church falls the greatest privilege that can be given to any person. To the church, that would be all of us, we're the church, falls the greatest privilege that can be given to us. This great privilege is that we're able, isn't that working right? Okay. To re- the, the, uh, this great privilege is that we are able to represent the one and only living God in all his grandeur to all the world. So that's the opportunity that we have, is to represent the one and only living God. And I specify one and only living God because there are no other living gods. There's only one living God, and we have the privilege of being his representative to the world. This representation is accomplished by, the, by fanning the flame that's in your heart. I do believe that every one of us have a have in our heart a flame that's that's that some of it may be on uh, on you know just embers some of it, some people's flame is is raging hot constantly all the time but I do believe that every one of us have a have a flame in our hearts uh and in your life so others will what I want it to happen is the representation that I'm talking about that's accomplished by fanning the flame in your heart and in your life so others will feel the heat and respond in a certain way. And I hope this this PowerPoint works, right? It's not going to go one line at a time. That's I was hoping it would. Okay, well we'll just work with it anyway. Um so what well what I what we want to do this is you know, I'm, I'm speaking because I think this is where your heart is at. Maybe you're in, you, you don't do it this way, but this is what I think everybody wants. We want to represent the Lord Jesus Christ so that others will respond to our passion for God, our passion for Christ, to answer the call to be a part of God's mission themselves, uh, to rescue the lost, to restore relationships between, between each other and between you and God, and to free the sin-bound burden of the lost souls that are in the world. That's, that's kind of what we want to have happen, right? And one, How does that happen? By us fanning the flame that's in our heart. By making the flame, that, when I use the term flame and, and fire in your heart and stuff, maybe you might be familiar with another word, your passion. Your passion for God and your passion for the Lord, your passion for serving Him. So I think it's easy for Christians to just disregard that flame or ignore that flame in their hearts just as so they want, they just don't want to, what they do is they snuff it out or they all, they, they they cover it up. Think about for just a moment that and we'll, we'll we won't look at it tonight, but in a couple uh sessions from now, we will. You remember that 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 burning bush that Moses walked up to on the mountain, that that bo- that burning bush, that that flame there was it, it lit a flame in in in, in Moses's heart. And he resisted it at the beginning. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks about the fact that he resisted and what that represents for us. But I want you to look at something. I want you to go over to. Um uh, Luke chapter twenty-four. Luke chapter twenty four and verse thirty two. Now this is just an example of kind of what I'm talking about. In Luke chapter twenty four, starting in verse um well I said thirty two, but let me see if I by far back I want to go. Well, I won't go back too far, but this is the story of the two men that were walking on the road to Emmaus after, the resur- after Jesus Christ had resurrected. They're walking, they're talking, and then, then Jesus Christ shows up to, to to walk with them. And it says in verse uh, uh, verse let's go back um verse 30. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him. I'm going back to thirty four but I think that's yeah, and their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight and in verse thirty two is really where I want to look at I want to point something out here, and they said one to another, they looked at each other, and they said, Did not our heart burn within us while we talked with while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened us open to us the scriptures wasn't wasn't our heart ignited I mean this man that we didn't know at the time was christ he spoke to us about himself and we he, we heard his voice he talked about himself in the scriptures he gave us some information didn't didn't that just rise up a flame in our heart didn't that didn't that ignite the passion that we have because they, they didn't now they know that they need to do something so when these two men had met the risen savior on the road their heart burned but they didn't take any action They didn't take any action. They actually, what they do, they they turned and they went home because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to respond to the passion that was in their heart. And so that's that's kind of where we're going to start with in this idea about owning the mission. Let me give you another example. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the greatest prophets in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament. Being called to speak out to the nation, but he fell on his own emotions. He felt to his own emotions. He, he fell away. He decided that he would no longer fan any flames that were rising. He actually said, if you turn to Jeremiah chapter 20, I think I got that on the screen. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there it is. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. This is what Jeremiah said about this situation, about what God had called him to do. He said, hey, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. That's a pretty bold statement for a man to say, I'm not going to talk about God anymore, even though God has called me to talk about God. I'm not going to do it. You know, there are Christians today, and possibly in HBF, that say, I am not going to talk about God. I'm not going to talk about God to anybody. And that's kind of like a Jeremiah. Then he goes on and he says, but his word, his word, God's word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. So his fire was burning too, because God had been there. God had given him a a purpose. Go and talk about me and my word and my my name and my my desire, my plan, and so on. So Jeremiah had been speaking of God in his name. He'd been speaking about God in his word, but he wanted to stop. He was tired he he, whatever reason was the valid I mean we don't have time to go back into Jeremiah to dig all it out but it's in there why he decided you know what I'm not going to do this anymore I don't care that there's a burning passion in my heart to speak I'm not going to speak and so um, Jeremiah was doing what he was supposed to do then he decided he's no longer going to do that that fire in his heart that he was shut up and not seen because he would rather not make mention of God anymore And he tried to ignore the call and he tried to ignore the command to to speak from God. That's pretty bold of any of us to say, you know what? I'm just not going to do what God asked me to do. I I would encourage you never, never say no to God. It's easy, though, to say no to God. It's easy because I think, well, I know that I have said no to God. I'll confess that to you all right now. I have said no to God before. He always comes back and gets me. I never get away from God very far. You know why? Because I don't want to. I just don't want to do what he wants me to do. But I want to be right there. See, this, it's inconsistent behavior. That's where Jeremiah was at. He, was in, he wanted to be right next to God. He wanted to be with God. He wanted to hear from God, but he didn't want to do what God said. The passion in his heart was burning so much, so, much, so strong, that he needed to be with God. But he didn't want to go do what God said to do. He just didn't want to do it. Then, you know, let me just say, so consider, turn over to Jeremiah chapter 1. I just want to look at this, kind of get the the context here a little bit. Jeremiah chapter 1. So. In Jeremiah chapter 1, we'll just drop down to verse 4. We'll read 4 through 9. It says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Behold, before I was formed, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said to me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to do... Thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. See, you can't say no to God. And whatever I command thee, thou shalt speak. You can't avoid what he wants you to do. Verse 8, be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee. That's the key part right there. I am with thee. You can even underline that if you've never underlined it before. Just underline that thing. I am with thee. To deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. That's, I mean, you, you can't go wrong with that. But here's the thing. The Lord came to Jeremiah. The, the Lord came to you. And he said, Hey, you. Oh, he said it to Jeremiah, but he said it to you too. And then God defined his call to Jeremiah. He said, I'm gonna, You're going to be a prophet. Now, in our day, we don't have prophets like the Old Testament prophets. I, you might want to just substitute for the concept here. Substitute the word preaching for the word prophet. God has called you to be a preacher. Not that you necessarily have to be up here on a Sunday morning preaching, but any time that you're speaking the word of God to another person, it's as though you're preaching the word. Okay, so so Jeremiah declined the call, claiming he's he he was too dis, he was a youth that that being a youth disqualified him from speaking out don't we always look for a way to disqualify ourselves to serve God? So he wants to be disqualified because of his youth. And God said, sorry, uh, Jeremiah, your lack of words. By, um, I'll take care of that. I will give you the words to say. And so then over the course of 20 chapters, he showed Jeremiah what to say about what was going on. That was from chapter 1 to chapter 20. He said, this is what you're supposed to speak about. Now, he may have tried to... To stop speaking and teaching and proclaiming because his role in the mission was complicated. It was a hard life that he had to do. It was it was tough to endure. And sometimes, you know, being a Christian in a Christian in, in a non Christian world can be tough. And we say, well, I'm just not going to go out. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to. I don't want to be a part of that. I'm not going to do those kind of things. So he may have tried to stop. But you know what? It, everything from where we looked at in Jeremiah 9, uh, Jeremiah 20 verse nine. To the end, there's thirty-two more chapters. He still did a lot of work for God. He didn't get away from not doing the work for God. All because Jeremiah remembered a key lesson that we all must learn regarding mission and owning the mission, and that is found two verses later in verse twenty chapter twenty, verse eleven. Look what it says there. You can see it on the screen. He says, But the Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed, for thou for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall be never never shall never be forgotten. But what Jeremiah says is, you know what? Here's the deal. Even, I may not want to do this, but God is with me, and He is a mighty, terrible God. Therefore, my persecutors, the ones I'm afraid of, the the, the situation that is facing me, they have no they have nothing on me. They have nothing on me. Okay, so. That was kind of an introduction as we're getting started here. I'm talking about the passion that you have. And what I want to do over the next several weeks is I want to help you relight that passion if, you have, if, it's, out of, if it's burnt out. Find it if it's, if it's hidden and light it for yourself. Because every one of us need to have the passion that Jeremiah had to do the work. Everybody needs to have that passion that those two men on the road to Emmaus were talking about so that it will be lit up. So that we say, wow, I was with God. Wow, I'm working for God. I'm, I mean, that's an incredible thing. Think about that. You're working for the creator of the universe. I mean, anything that has ever happened in the universe is under his authority, and you work for him. That's an incredibly amazing thing. Okay, so what I want to do over the next uh, few times that we're together and... um. So we're, we're together tonight. What I want to do is I want to explore how we can own the mission. So that's a phrase that I want you to start thinking about all the time, owning the mission. And I'll explain what I mean by that over the course of the next several weeks. But anyway, we're going to meet tonight. We'll meet next week on March 30th, Wednesday night Bible study. And then two times, now if you can make it, not everybody's going to be able to make it, but I, I, but if you can, get away from work uh. Monday, the fourth of um, April, and Tuesday, the fifth of April. That's the, those are two daytime sessions for the vision conference. I'm going to wrap all this stuff, this stuff up. and On Monday, I'll I'll speak about occupying, and on Tuesday, I'm going to speak about how you can identify what's holding you back from owning the mission. So, to, today and to next week is kind of an introductory, laying out a a uh, a framework, and then on. Vision Conference Monday and Vision Conference Tuesday, we're going to talk about occupying and identifying, occupying and identifying, and I'm not sure yet how that's going to all lay out. It may be one or the other. Maybe I might do identifying first and occupying later. I don't know, but but that's where we're going on this. What I hope to do is to stir your mind. I really wish this would not do this, but anyway, what I hope to do is to stir your mind Um. And your soul so much that you are moved to seek two things. I want you to seek two things. First, I want you to seek. I want you to consider how you can contribute to the propagation of the of God's mission. Every single one of us that are here, and the ones that didn't come tonight, and the ones that are in other parts of this building doing something something else. Every one of us have a part have a part to play in the propagation of God's mission. And I'm being very specific in the terminology, and then we'll we'll define some few terms here in a little bit. The number one, consider how you can contribute to the propagation of God's mission, and number two, consider how you can be challenged about what is or what is not, or or, or what is or what can be your role in God's mission. See, one of the things that I think well, well I'll get to this later. I, I don't want to jump over myself, but there's there's uh, I think every one of us has a tendency. Uh, to to not identify our role. Uh, my role is to sit in the back pew. My role is to w- watch the door. My, you know, okay, but come on, what is the role in God's mission? That's what I want to make sure that we're at. Okay, so all I want to do today is paint a picture for you uh, of a great need. If you understand the need, maybe the the fire will begin to to ignite your heart and your passion. In Romans chapter 2, verse 12, which I don't think is on the the screen anywhere. Romans chapter 2, verse 12 says this. For as many as have sinned without the law shall also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Basically, the bottom line is there are too many people in the world today that have not confronted their sin. How do you confront your sin? You go talk to Jesus. Jesus will take care of your sin. You get saved you're, 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 you're where God wants you to be. So they have not confronted their sin. What does that mean for us? Well, this is what it means. They will perish. If they don't confront their sin, if they don't get right with God, they will perish. You know what that means? They will not spend eternity in heaven with God. And so uh, so we, as privileged people to serving God in his mission, We are privileged to participate in God's mission to rescue them. That's all this is. This is a rescue mission, and I'm trying to get you to want to be involved. I want you to buy in on this this rescue mission. You need to be bought into this rescue mission. Okay, I'm scaring everybody because you think I'm talking about you going to the mission field. I'll tell you right now, I'm not. But I am talking about some important things, though, nonetheless. So those who have not confronted their sin, they will perish. So it's our privilege to participate in God's mission to rescue them. Why? Because there's a war raging. There's a war raging. There is a war raging out there in all of the world. And I'm not, by the way, talking about Russia and the Ukraine. I'm not talking about the potential for China or Iran or North Korea to launch a nuclear weapon. I'm not talking about that kind of a war. This war is not that war. This war is a spiritual war. I am talking about the war for the souls. I don't know if I'm getting the right place or not. Yeah, I am talking about a war for the souls of every human being on the earth. There is a war for souls because the outcome of every soul, listen to this, the outcome of every soul is either suffering eternally or eternal sanctification. And we have a role to play in what that outcome may be. If you would do what you what God wants you to do, more people would be sanctified. That's basically what I'm saying. If you don't do it, then we're just going to let those that haven't been saved, we're going to let them perish and suffer for eternity. That's that is on us, by the way. That's that's our responsibility. So, sin has a death grip on our world and the families and all too often, even ourselves are, are are bound by this this sin that has chained us to Satan. Every day, there's a battle for the soul to claim it and to control it. So I think you've heard this before. What are the two things that are, etern- that are eternal? Word of God and what? Souls of men. We take the word of God and we can save the souls of men. But if we don't do that, the souls of men are still eternal their destination, unfortunately, is not not a good place to go. I don't know where we're at. I don't know if I should keep clicking or not. Okay, well, let's jump in several screens. Okay, but let me be clear about this. Am I in the right place here? I don't even know where that's at. Yeah, I think I went too far. I'm just going to back up here. Okay, so what I'm... Yeah, but I've got like five things that I should be clicking just on one screen. So when I click, I don't know where I'm at. Can you fix that? All right. Well, I'll, I'll just keep going until you tell me it's fixed, and then we'll jump in. Okay. So sin has a death grip on our families and all too often even on ourselves. Every day, that battle for the soul to claim it and to control it. Let me be clear about this. So that's kind of where we're at. Let me be clear about the inter- eternal importance of this battle that mu- you must not fear the battle. Too many people fear the battle. Let me just say this. The battle shouldn't fear. You shouldn't fear the battle. You know what the battle should do to you? There are three things the battle should do to you. That, they're not on the screen yet. It should grip your heart and your mind until it consumes you. Think about what's going on in the, in Ukraine right now. When you watch those those images on the news, doesn't that just grip your heart? Don't you just want to make a change? You want to do something. It's working now? Okay. there all right we'll go there okay all right so what i want to what i want you to understand that there's war that's going on that's taking place on for the souls of men i need it to grip your heart i need it to grip your mind until it consumes you that this is all i can think of this is all i can do i can't do anything because the people are going to hell and until i do something about it I'm frustrated. That's what we all should think. That's first. Number two, that it should grip the heart of every born-again Christian. Not just you, but every born-again Christian should be gripped by this battle. Every Christian must be compelled to seek out a way to add their name to the roster of those who fight to rescue and to restore those souls. Is that up there? That's the last one. Okay, good. Okay, every. let me say that again. Every Christian must be compelled to seek and seek out a way to add their name to the roster. You hear that part because you don't hear this kind of stuff very much. How do you put your name on the roster to go to war? That's what I'm talking about. How do you put your name on the roster to rescue and to restore those souls? Every one of us, I think it's the last thing that's on the line here, every one of us should be desperate to find our role in this war. You know, you think of you see people. Americans, different, different from people from different countries, they're flocking to Ukraine. They're, I don't even know how they're getting in the country. Maybe they're illegally border crossing. I don't know. But they're going over there, and they're bringing whatever they have to fight a, a physical battle. But the Christians, they don't, won't cross that battle. They, and I'm not talking about going back to Ukraine. I'm talking about the spiritual battle that's out there. We won't cross that, that line because we're too afraid, we don't want to get involved. Here, let me give you let me give you something, some information that's that's at stake here for you. Humanity's soul is what's at stake. But just consider how many souls have been on the earth. This is an amazing. How many souls have been on the earth? Anybody know how many souls there have been on the earth? It's an incredibly huge number. So I got this chart, and i I didn't realize when I got it that it's not exactly biblical. It goes back to ten thousand BCE. You know before the common era, before Christ, 10,000. We'll go with that, though. That's okay. What this shows is an an upward swing of population from 10,000 B.C. to 2021, last year. So let me give you some things. From the dawn of recorded time, it's still advancing everything. From the dawn of recorded time from history, all the way up until 1800, before the world population reached 1 billion people, it took him from 0 to 1,800 after, after Christ to get 1 billion people on the earth. It took another 103 years to 1933 to reach 2 billion, year, uh, 2 billion people on the earth. Then 27 years until 1960 to reach 3 billion people on the earth. Then 17 years later in 1977 to finally reach 4 billion years, 4 billion population. Then only 10 more years, 1987, to be 5 5 billion people on the earth. By 1991, there were 6 billion people on the earth. And in 2021, just last year, there were 7.9 billion people on the face of this globe. That's not just people. Change the word people to souls. If you change the word "people" to "souls," then you, you you see the magnitude of the work that we have before us. Seven point nine billion souls on the planet today. Actually, if you, um, yeah, okay, we'll just keep it there. Unless something happens drastically happens like somebody does shoot a nuclear weapon someplace and kills a couple of million people billion people there will be 8.8 billion people across the face of the planet and they're they're all crying out a message they're all screaming this every one of them oh tell me the name just once what name what name are they saying oh tell me that name for the first time because they've never heard of the name of jesus but they know that there's a name every culture out there knows that there's something that they want, but they don't know how to identify it. It takes people like us to be able to do that. 8.8 billion people. That's enough people to circle the globe 100 times around, holding hands all the way around 100 times. That's how many people we're talking about. Now, what's interesting about this number What's interesting about this number is it's not. It's not only are there eight point almost eight billion people. There's two point two billion Christians, two point two billion Christians professing believers. They're not always biblically believers, but they're professing believers. Two point two billion. That means. What does that mean then? How many are lost? Six point six. 6.6 billion. If there's 2.2 billion, 8.8 billion is the total. Subtract 2.2 billion, you got 6.6 lost people out there in the world. But don't miss the real point here. It's not the growth of the population. It's the number of those who are dying every minute. It's not the growth. I mean, that was a growth spurt, right? I mean, you know, for t- what? 10,000. Well, let just call it 6,000 from the time of man. 6,000 years. That's a big growth spurt but I'm not talking about the growth spurt. What I'm actually talking about, what I want to point out is not the, not, not the growth of it. What's, in most, what's most important is, let's see if it comes up here. Yeah, we'll get to that. What's most important is the number who are dying every minute that do not know Christ. Let me give you some numbers. Uh, every minute, now, every hour around the globe, there's 108 deaths. Every, uh, every minute, I'm sorry. Every minute around the world, 108 people die every minute. Now, you take that times minutes in an hour, hours in a day, days in a week, weeks in a month, and so on. So you get um, 6,480 an hour are dying. That's lost. They're going to hell. 155,250 a day. They're dying because of the disease of sin. They're dying because they have been bound up in sin and they haven't addressed it and gotten saved yet. They're dying. 1,088,640 a week. Or five fifty-six million six hundred nine thousand a year. And they're dying because nobody cares for their soul. Now, these numbers came from places like... Uh, CIA.gov, and um, I got it someplace written down where I got all these. But th- these are these are numbers, statistical numbers from a from a, a reputable um, source. So it's easy to misunderstand. So let me just say it this way: my point. It's easy to mis- not get my point. If there's 6.6 billion lost people in the world, we cannot expect now. Hear me out. We cannot expect missionaries and pastors to reach them all it takes everybody it takes us all to reach them all okay so let me just say this let me shift gears a little bit everyone's mission is the same so I want to share a quote with you and I think you can read I hope you can read it on screen I'm going to read it out to you the eternal purpose of God is to call out from every kindred tongue people and nation a multitude redeemed by the blood of his lamb, slain from the foundation of the world, over whom he will crown his son, the lion of the tribe of Judah, king of king and lord of lords forever. Then he goes on and he says, This is the passion of the Lord of this is the passion of the heart of God that cannot be quenched, the obsession of his mind that cannot be denied, the vision of his eye from eternity past unto eternity future that cannot grow dim and the destination to which he hath committed his omnipotent, immutable, eternal being, a, destion, a destination he will not abandon. That's God's passion. Now, notice that at the beginning of paragraph two, this is the passion of the heart of God. God's heart burns brightly for the lost in the world. He's burning. God says, I want to bring them all to a destination. I don't want to abandon anybody. This missionary, his name was Darrell Champlin. He was a missionary to Africa. Uh, in in the early part of the year, uh, his his career. Then he moved down to um, Papua New Guinea, I think it is. Does that say it up there? Suriname, that's it. Suriname, that's in the north eastern part of, uh, of South America. Um, you should read his story. His incredible his story, uh, as of his time as a missionary. So, in other words, God's mission is to accomplish what no earthly man can do. But every believer has a place in that accomplishment. We all, every one of us, have a role to play in the accomplishment of that mission. So, what is the mind and what is the heart of a Christian? Just your standard Christian. Okay, so let me give you some examples. This is your typical Christian. The characteristics of the majority of Christians, they go to church, they pray sometimes. They're good people, they claim. They read their Bible, maybe. Some of them are even hypocritical. Yeah, probably. But it's evident that they do not see owning the mission as a staple of the believer. Most Christians don't see themselves addressing, thinking, praying about, or even caring about the mission of God. They just don't see it. Okay, that's the characteristics of your typical Christian. What about the characteristics of your... of your uh, your mission's focused Christian. Now, this this would, This okay. This is where we're at, but I'm going to tell you, this is where we don't want to be. The characteristics of a mission-focused Christian, they acknowledge the universal love and desire of God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They know that God loves everybody. They understand. They know what John 3.16 says. They get that. They recognize the diversity of composition found in the world. They know that everybody's different, but God loves everybody. They recognize the prime importance of the Christian mission. They know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to go out, you know, uh, the great commission and the great uh, commandment. We know we know what that stuff is. Uh they learn about world mission, you know, they they get involved, they read things, they they like to come and listen to a missionary preach. The mission focused Christian understands mission but does not own the mission. So the first Christian doesn't even know there's a mission. The second Christian knows there's a mission but doesn't own it. The third characteristic of a Christian where I'd like for every one of us to get to uh, as soon as we possibly can, is this, the characteristics of a Christian who owns the mission. They recognize his or her responsibility for mission. They know that they're responsible for it. They pray for the world. They go on world mission trips. They go around the world. They change, this is important, they change their lifestyle to better be ready to engage in mission through ministry. They change their lifestyle. Um, most Christians say I'm not going to change my lifestyle because my lifestyle is important. I got to go fishing on Sunday mornings. I'm going to go fishing on Sunday. I got to have a job, and my job says I got to work on Sundays. I'm going to work on Sundays. You know, they don't change their their mission, their life to conform to prepare themselves to own the mission. This Christian does, though, how should own his mission and act on ministry to advance missions. Okay, that. Tracking with that. Anybody questions on anything so far? That makes sense. You get you get the passion that we need to have. You get the sense of where we're going with this thing. Okay, so let's get a little detailed. What is what is the mission? What is this mission that I'm talking about? Okay, well the only way I can describe, I'm not sure if this, this is a slide. I think it is. Wish I could read the one in the back. My eyes don't work. Yeah. This is okay. Before we can tell you what missions is, I gotta tell you what missions is not. So I found this on a, I was randomly searching around for some stuff, and I found this on a uh, a web a website called Theology at Work. Great name, could have been a great thing, you know. So listen to this. God's mission is to inspire people to work with the materials He provides to bring forth new and good creations and to order the natural world. The, the natural world. God gives people the grace to return to Him. He heals the world's brokenness, and He opens the way for full Opens a way to fully restore his original intent for the world, including now. This is the this is a, this is an amazing part. Including humanity's role as a co-creator with him. Did you know you were a co-creator with God? That's what this group says. Both creation of the world and its redemption by God's grace are therefore the mission of God. Okay, that's not missions. And what is missions? That's I wanted to show you what not. There's a lot of churches out there that think that we're all about saving the planet. Okay, well, saving the planet's a great thing. I mean, I, it's my home too. But you know what? Saving the lost souls are more important than saving the planet because this will burn. Not to mention, in fact, this is God's footstool, and I don't think he's going to destroy it. To complete, It's going to allow it to be completely destroyed. It is his footstool. Anyway, okay, different topic. So let me see how this works here. Pick up on this statement here. I got to keep turning around. Missions exist because God is a missionary God. Missions exist because God is a missionary God. I want to look at a couple of verses real quick. Uh, they're on the screen. John chapter three verse seventeen. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that He would but, but that the world through Him might be saved. God's a missionary God. He sent his son as a missionary to rescue the world. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul writes, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. He sent his son. God is a missionary God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, John writes, It was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. God is a missionary God. If we never lose sight of that. We'll keep a lot of things in focus that we are not in focus right now. God is a missionary God. Missions. Missions begins in the heart of God as the execution of his initiative to which every human being can respond. Now think about that for just a minute. God, missions begins in the heart of God. We read that, that quote from uh, missionary Daryl Champlin. that it begins in the heart of God. It was his passion in his heart. And it was, it was the heart of God as the execution of his initiative, God's initiative to which every human being can respond. We can be a part of God's initiative somehow, someplace. The execution uh, is that every, the expectation is that everyone, that would be every believer, must find, must find a way to conduct missions in a way that is dependent on God and in line with his plan. The message of mission is the redemptive love and grace of God for all people, and it must not be overshadowed by human messengers. And God, last thing I want to say here is God being motivated by his great love, sent his only begotten son on a rescue mission. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, which I think is on the screen barely. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Christ came to seek, to save, and to give his life for the world. God's mission is, is God's plan for all of humanity. Remember what Peter said in 2 Peter 3, 9? I think most of us could probably quote that. 2 Peter 3, 9 is a mission, as a memory verse. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is what? Long-suffering to us were that not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's, God's, that's part of his plan. So the mission then is this. I hope this pops up right. The mission is this. This is the mission. God's. This is God's mission. God desires to restore His image in lost man by means of salvation. That's the plan. That's that's it in one statement. You can memorize that statement before you go home tonight. That's one. That's the. That's that's God's plan right there. Fully, completely, without subpoints A, B, and C. Without it's just, that's the plan. God desires. To restore his image in lost man as by means of salvation you remember in genesis chapter 3 when god had to expel adam and eve out of the garden and then what did he put up in the gate of the garden he put an angel with a flaming sword spinning and twirling around why was that angel there to keep them from coming back in until there was time for them to be able to come back in the only way they can come back in is through christ so when they when he expelled them from the garden, this was in his heart, and his mind already. I'm going to restore them to my image by, sa- by saving them through myself, my son. That was what he's thinking. That's what he's saying as they're walking out of the garden. He's putting the angels there. He says, you can't come back right now. I love you, but you can't come back. I want you back, but you can't come back yet. You need to come back, but I can't let you come back yet. I got to work out this sin issue. Now, God can do anything, of course. I mean, God could have just snapped his fingers and wouldn't even have to snap his fingers. He could have just thought it and it would have happened and he could have rescued it. But he needed to do this for you and me to show us this is how we get saved. OK, so God desires to restore his own image in lost man by means of salvation. Our mission, then, is to support God's mission. That's OK, so that's his mission, our mission our responsibility our task is to support god's mission by finding out where we can own a part of the mission what's the mission get people saved god wants to see people get saved he wants his image put in them so they can get saved our 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 job is to figure out a way to help that ha- to make that work to to provide a conduit a a, pa- a path a, a a channel whatever you want to call it whatever adjective you want to use i guess those are adjectives Okay I need to be clear on this let me let me stop here for just a moment for the rest of this study to make sense I need to be clear God's mission is carried out by means of the structure of the local church so we've used the term in many times in the past what we call parachurch organizations they're great they're christian they' they're, they're they're organized and run by believers and you know probably investing uh, biblical principles in, in running that that organization but But God's mission is carried out by the means of the structure of the local church. No Christian can own the mission. Listen to this. No Christian can own the mission if they do not know what the mission is. You can't own something if you don't know what it is. No Christian can own the mission if they do not desire to be a part of what God is trying to get done in the world. So it takes two things. It takes you to understand the mission and it takes you to have the passion in your heart, burning in your heart, that says, I have to be a part of this. I have to go. I can't not go. If, if I don't go, then I will die. Now, I'm already saved, so it's okay. But I don't want to die. I want to work. That's got to be our passion. What every Christian must do is identify the mission and then look for a point where they can put themselves into the mission. And if you need help with that, I'll help you with it. I'll help you identify that. I, 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 got, I got a place for everybody already. I do. I really do. I have a place for everybody. I know not if I don't, then Pastor Brian does. I guarantee you he's got a place where everybody can plug in to God's mission of, changing, of, of restoring his image in lost man by means of salvation. I know that that can happen. So let me give you four definitions here real quick. There's only three on the screen. We'll get to the fourth one in just a moment. But let me just give you a definition here. Mission. So there's there's words that get tossed around in churches. Mission, missions, missionary, those kind of things. So let me give you a definition. This is how I define them. Mission, I already told you about. God's desire to restore his image in lost man through the means of salvation. That's That's the mission. But what are missions? Plural. Missions. Plural. There's only one mission. Restore his image. But there are missions. And so... Missions is the fulfillment of God's mission by means of making disciples. I just said it that way just because everybody knows what discipleship is, right? Everybody knows, understands the concept of discipleship because we are a disciple-making church. We are a discipling church. We, we eat, breathe, and, and operate discipleship. I mean, that's just what we do in everything, in every corner. So f- missions fulfills the, God's mission by means of making disciples. So I'm just going to leave that making disciples a very generic phrase right now. Because I'll let you define what does it mean for you to make a disciple. And I'm not talking about D1. I'm talking about making a disciple. What does that mean to you? You need to answer that. Okay. Missionary. That's another word up here. Now, this is a long definition, so I'll read it to you. One who in the fulfillment of God's mission is led by God and sent out by his local church to reproduce the church in another people, and then I would, parentheses, or or extension, by extension, as well as to serve in the church in what is called ministry. So missionary is somebody who is sent out of this church to start another church someplace else, or somebody that stays in this church and serves in a thing called ministry. I think that's one of the goals of discipleship, isn't it? Establish a believer in the local church, establish a believer in the word of God, establish a believer in the fellowship of the church, and establish a believer in ministry. Okay, well, I think that word scares people because nobody knows what it means. So let me tell you what ministry means. Okay, ministry. This is is the fourth definition. This is the long one. I got a long definition and a short definition. I'm going to give you the long one first, and then I'll give you the short one. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. Verse ten. Come on. Okay. Season chapter three, verse ten. Paul writes this To the intent. That now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Okay, so that's a key phrase right there. The goal of ministry is to work towards proclaiming the gospel to the world around us with our actions as well as our words. That through the work of the body of Christ, the church will show the manifold wisdom of God to the world. That it might be made known to the lost. That will lead them to salvation that means basically every ministry has actually an, in, an end game every ministry has an end game that end game is to man, is to bring forth the manifold wisdom of God. what does that mean? that means that we the manifold wisdom of God is in his wisdom you can be saved by his wisdom you can you can be rescued from being, being a, a sacrifice in the pit of hell his wisdom desires to save you that's a great that's a great statement to to hear about okay so ministry then could be defined is that up here nope nope yeah i think i missed that part what's that okay ministry is no different nope i'm going too far ministry can be defined as this what we do in order that God is glorified, his, glor- his gospel is shared with the world, and lives are rescued from the eternity of separation. That's ministry. Every ministry has this as an end game: that what we do in order that God is glorified, his gospel is shared with the world, and his lives are rescued from the eternity of separation. That's ministry. That's all ministry is. We went, what is ministry? Well, it's uh, rescuing people, sharing the gospel, Seeing God glorified. Turn over to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. 2 Corinthians 5. This is just an example in the Scripture, just an example. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Starts off, let me see, make sure I'm in the right place here. Yeah. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Everything I said about what ministry can be defined as is contained in those verses. But that's just an example right there. God has given us a ministry called reconciliation. Okay, now in a church, we take the ministry of reconciliation and we subdivide it. Children's ministry, life issues ministry, praise ministry, AV ministry, ministry. Um, Bible ministry, uh, discipleship, and so on and so on. That's all the ministry of reconciliation. Every one of them reckon is a the purpose for reconciling people to God. So God has gifted every person. You may not know this, but God, no, I'm not talking about the gift of salvation. God has gifted every person to accomplish what is necessary that the gospel will be proclaimed as a result of our effort, whether directly or indirectly whatever you, whatever, as long as you're doing something, the gospel will be, will be proclaimed. Every part of the work of ministry is needful, and we should rejoice that we are permitted to bear any part of it. Every part of ministry is important, and we are, we are privileged to be a part of it. However humble it is, no matter what it is, in bringing sinners to the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's part of ministry. Now, I'm not going to get into this next part. I'll just skip this. But let me say this statement here. Ministry is no different than mission. Yeah, that's not up there, but that's okay. Ministry is no different than mission. But here's my short definition on the screen. Ministry is mission is ministry is mission. Okay? You see how that works? Ministry is mission is is mission, is is mission is ministry is mission is ministry is mission is ministry. They're all the same thing. We don't divide. I'm a missionary, so I'm great because I'm a missionary, and I go overseas and I do great things. You know what I do when I get over there? I do what you're doing here. I do the same thing. I just do it over there. Ministry is mission is ministry is mission is ministry is mission. All the same. But But both are about the task of preparing a way for the gospel to be proclaimed because there is a war raging. And we need to do something about it. You know, I just want to touch on this war for just a brief moment here. Satan has launched a war for the soul. All the way back in Genesis, he launched a war. There's a battle for the soul of man rooted in the flesh, but it's motivated by Satan. The battle is rooted in the flesh, but it's motivated by Satan. Satan touched that flesh. He didn't touch Eve in in a physical way, but he did... He did touch her in her heart and, and challenged her to get something that she desired by putting into her what she should, what he wanted her to desire. And she desired it, and you all know the story of that. So there's a battle for the soul of man. And I got three verses here that, uh, yeah, they're on the screen. Okay, let me just read them to you. Revelation 12, 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, who deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out, of the, out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And we know that story. We understand what happened there. Galatians 5:17, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one to the other, so you cannot do the things that you would. And in Romans 8, 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die but if you live through the spirit, but if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So while we must be able to enter into, we must be obligated to enter into this war at any post, at any position, Peter tells us why it's important to enter into the war, into the battle. He says, it's not on the screen, I don't think, is it? Okay. Okay, there it is. First Peter 2, 11 and 12. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, God is saying, I beseech, I'm begging you, I'm asking you, please get involved in my mission. I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Why do we do, why do we get involved in ministry? Why do we get plugged into this mission of God? So that they will be, they will see our good works, they will behold the glory of God, and they will be when they're visited, they will be saved. The two things that Peter points out here is the salvation of the human soul and the glory of God. The war that is raging around us is to capture as many souls for hell as possible. That's what Satan is trying to do. He's trying. He walks around as a roaring lion, Luke, seeking whom he may devour. He wants to eat your flesh so that your soul is disconnected and is, and is destined to hell. That's what he wants to do. The war is raging around us to capture as many souls for hell as possible in order to tarnish the glory of God. You know, if, if if Satan can get you to condemn God or to curse God, or to remember what he did to Job, and his wife comes out there and says, curse God and die. Job basically says, I can't do that. It's because of because of God I have what I have and I and I am who I am. But that's what Satan wants you to do. He wants every lost person, and a lot of the lost people do it today, don't they? They 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 mock God, they condemn God, they they reject God. So when we step into this war, we stand against the evil in order that God's glory will blaze everywhere but it's got to start blazing in your heart first. If it doesn't blaze in your heart, it won't blaze anywhere else. Satan has five I will statements, and I'm not going to spend any time on this, but in Isaiah chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, he gives five things. Satan says five statements. He makes five I will statements. He says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation. I will ascend Above the heights of the clouds, and then he says, "I will be like the most high that's that's uh that's Satan's statements. Did you know that God has five statements as well five i will statements actually he's got a lot more than that, but these are these are good in in Exodus chapter six verses six to eight he says wherefore my wherefore say unto my children of Israel, I am the lord' I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I will rid you out of their bondage. I will redeem you for the stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people. And I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And he finishes up in verse 8. I will bring you into the land concerning that which I did swear to give. Those are great promises of God that Satan wants to reject and throw away. But here's a question. This is the question that I have for you. Do you have any I will statements? Do you have any I will statements that define your commitment to own the mission? After we get done with this series, I would hope that you will have created some of your own I will statements. Paul had statements. Paul made several I will statements. I think I counted over 50 uh, that uh, were in the scriptures. But let me just give you four of them real quick. Romans chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, I serve with my spirit. Now, there's no will word there, but it's implied. I will serve with my spirit. That's Paul. He's making a commitment to God. I will serve. In 1 Corinthians 4, 19, he says, I will come to you. You know, when we make a statement, you know, he's not talking about coming to God. He's saying, I'm coming to you people who need to know God, who need to hear from God, who need to know, who need to be taught what God says. In 1 Corinthians 6, 13, he says, I will not be brought under the power of lawful things. I will not be under the power. He's saying, I, I'm going to be under the power of the Holy Spirit, not rules and regulations. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 12, he says, I will declare thy name. So what is your will, I will statements? I will what? See, when you start defining yourself as an I will person, and you give yourself, I will do these things and make them your prayer life. I will execute these things. You're plugging yourself into the mission. You're owning the mission. So, yes, there is a spiritual war that rages. Satan continues to rebel against the Creator, who is God. God. And he's always his, and it's always his desire to God Satan wants to move you in two ways. I don't know if you've ever thought about what Satan wants to do. He, you know, we, we know Satan's an evil man, evil being, but let me just say this: first, he wants to tempt you to sin and disobey God. He wants you to sin, not just anybody but you, he wants you to sin. secondly, he wants he wants he wants to move you to allow yourself to be deceived, to so not only be sinned. Be in sin, but be deceived. He wants you to be deceived. Too many Christians are being deceived by everything that is called Christianity in the world today. Most of it is a mockery of God. Most of it is a mockery of Christianity. Most of it is a mockery of the truth. And it's deceiving Christians. And I I don't want to go any further than that because I've got a lot of opinion about those things. But let me just say, God, don't give God more power than he has. I'm sorry see see how he deceived me and tricked me just a slip of a word don't give Satan more power than he has you remember what the Apostle John said in 1 John 4 4? ye are of God little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than in he that is in the world he's in you The greatest power of the universe is in you. Don't let Satan deceive you. Just like just a little slip of the words. I mean, that's a really perfect example. I didn't intend to say that. And I didn't even know I messed up until you called me out on it. Thank you. Okay, because there's a war raging from the beginning of Scripture. At the moment of salvation, this is a key thing, at the moment of salva- your salvation, at the moment of your salvation, you were recruited into this battle. You were recruited into this battle. Paul calls it, he tells He tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. Who chose who? God chose you to be a soldier. We're we'll going to start calling you a warrior, a mission warrior. That's what we're going to start terming you from now on, a mission warrior. Okay, so we've only got a few more minutes left here, but let me just try to see how far I get. So mission is about winning the war. So there's a spiritual war out there for the souls of, of, of men and women, uh, but mission is about winning the war. I mean, you know, God could God could wipe Satan off, out of the universe just, I mean, he just think it, and Satan could be just, just, just vaporized. He didn't, because he, he wants your heart, he wants your passion to be on fire for him and for his word and for his mission. Okay, so the war distracts the lost from hearing the call to salvation. We know, or we should know, that there is a war raging. But just in case you have missed that declaration of war, there was a declaration of war. Look at John chapter 15, verse 16. Is it up there someplace. Yeah, there it is. I wish I could read that screen. <laughs> I got it. Okay, John John fifteen, sixteen. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go for, go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, He will He may give it to you. And then in John chapter 15, verse 8, just a few verses back, he says, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. So the point of this is this. We've been chosen. We have been chosen. We've been ordained. That means given authority. So we've been ordained into the ministry, into into the mission. We've been ordained to go and to bring back fruit. The power of these verses would imply one who is called to the mission field. and I mean, that's what it seems like, and that's how these verses are typically used. People that are called to go there to the mission field, okay? Yet I'm not focusing on, if you've you picked up on it so far, I'm not focusing on mobilizing you as a missionary. That's not what I'm trying to do. If uh, Instead, what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to mobilize mission warriors. I said I would use that term from now on, mission warriors, I'm I'm trying to mobilize mission warriors to set a plan for your own involvement in the mission. Consider those verses tonight when you get home. How are you going to, if you were chosen, how are you going to bear much fruit, and what are you going to do? You got to, the only way you can do anything is to be plugged into the mission. In our no, let me give you an example. Now I don't know. if I know a couple of people. I think Rex, you were in the military, right? I was in the military. I don't know about you you were in the military. Okay, so did you know, maybe you guys all didn't know this, but for every one soldier that goes to battle, there are nine soldiers behind in the back supporting that one soldier. You know, we have 450,000 American soldiers in the army right now. 90% of them will never see battle but they support the men to go to battle. So the point is this. this. If I'm talking about a missionary on the field, you need everyone to support you. So if you're not going to the field, are you going to be one of the nine? Are you going to be one of the nine plugged in someplace to support the field work? Not necessarily for support that missionary, although that's a positive thing. But how do you support the work of the field? which is over there, up here, over there, up there. The field, how do you support the field if you're not one of the ones that go? How do you plug yourself in as one of the 90%? 90% of the 2.2 million Christians should be serving somebody in some way plugged into the mission to accomplish some things. So a mission warrior understands four facts of the mission, and I think probably we'll end here. didn't quite get as far as I was going to go, but that's okay. We got next week. Okay, so a mission warrior understands four things. A mission warrior is one that voluntarily seeks. What do you seek? You seek a place to work God's mission to win the war for lost souls. You seek a voluntary place to work. Now, those soldiers that go to the battlefield, I mean, in this day and age, every one of them volunteered to join the military, but not one of them volunteered to go to that battlefield. They were told to go to that battlefield, which is fine. That's what they signed up for. I did too. I signed up for that kind of stuff. I knew what I was getting myself into. I I didn't know it. I signed the papers, but I found out quickly. But anyway, the point is, you're, if you're going to be a mission warrior, you need to voluntarily seek a place to, to work God's mission in, to win the war. Number two, you need to know that what is you need to know what's at stake in this war. What's at stake is the souls of literally billions of lost people. We've already seen those statistics. We've, that's why we kind of went through them just to kind of get you a, get your heart going on it. A warrior knows. Number three, a warrior knows how to hear the alarm for war that, so that they can respond. What is the alarm for war? Well, in the military, in the army especially, it's a trumpet. What what is the the call to to battle in the in the Bible? A trumpet, isn't that amazing? Jeremiah, turn over to Jeremiah again, Jeremiah chapter four. Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 19. Jeremiah writes, My bowels, my bowels, I am pained at my very heart. My heart maketh a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace. That's because he's got so much passion going on. Because thou hast heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is spoiled. Suddenly are my tents spoiled and my curtains in a moment. How long shall I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? The trumpet's blowing. Where are we going to plug in? Jeremiah had heard the alarm, the sound of, he heard the sound. He heard the alarm of war, and he could no longer be idle. He had to act. He had to go and do what God said. He had to own the battle because of the destruction of Judah. And earlier in the same chapter, in verse 5, it says, uh, chapter chapter 4, verse 5, Declare ye in Judah, and publish in Jerusalem, and say, blow ye the trumpet in the land. Cry, gather together, and say, assemble yourselves, and let us go into the defensed cities. He He has acknowledged that the Lord has not turned away from his people, and it was Jeremiah's goal to warn everyone of the war coming, and that everyone could act in defense. Okay, so the alarm is sounding. What will you do? Will you become, will you get engaged? It's time to declare your intention for mission. Will you decide to get engaged? Will you find a place to serve? Will you contribute to the success of the mission? Will you look forward to the victory over billions who will die due to a sin disease if we don't do something? Will you become a mighty warrior? Will you become a mighty warrior? Consider the examples of David's mighty men, and we'll wrap up with this. No, I got to probably, no, we'll we'll see. I've got so much I want to say. Remember, and we won't take the time to, to read the passage, but in 2 Samuel chapter 23, we have some examples of what's called David's mighty men. Starting with Eleazar, it says that he arose and smote the Philistines unto his hand was weary and he hand clave, unto the sword and the lord wrought a great victory that day and there's other names that were mentioned and how they battled and how they fought and how they how they 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 labored hard to win the war how are we going to do it now we could continue going through this chapter and we could read it all and everything but let me just get let me just boil it down to this this is what makes a mighty warrior four things three things in verse 15 they sought to please their leader These mighty men of David that it's talking about in chapter 23 of 2 Samuel, they were mighty warriors because the first thing that they wanted to do was, please, David. Who's David in the New Testament? Jesus Christ. Right? David in the Old Testament is a type of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is David in the New Testament. So he's your leader. You want to please David. They wanted to please David. In verse fifteen, in verse twenty, they were willing to battle in any condition. They didn't say, "Well, you know what? It's uh, you know, it's kind of hostile out there. I don't think I'm going to go into that war. I think I'm just going to, you know, let me just hang back here. I got a broken toe. I can't go. I got to go to a search. I got to go to, a, to a, you know, medical. I need I need a medical relief here. I can't go." Verse twenty-one. They were willing. This is an amazing thing. They were willing to take the weapon of the enemy and use it on the enemy. You know, sometimes we just need to deceive the devil and trick him. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and stop there because I know if I get into the next little section, which is almost the end of this of what I wanted to get tonight. Maybe I will. What do you think? What do you think? Keep going? Okay. All right, let me just do this. Let me ask you this question. Have you heard the wrong message? Not tonight, but in the past. Have you heard the wrong message in the past? Because generally, two messages are, d- are delivered to the church. For a long time, these two messages have been delivered. First, the church is looking for a response to the call to go to another field as a missionary. We want people to go to the mission field. Second, there's a plea to fill a need in ministry. That's kind of how things are done, right? There's a, there's a need. We, we need somebody, could somebody go up in the sound booth and serve in the sound booth? Will somebody, you know, we need, a, we need a, uh, a guitar player, or we need a singer or something, or we need somebody in the kitchen. Would you go there? That's, that's fine. Both of those are valid messages. But you know what most of the times those messages do? Most of the time, those messages scare people. They strike fear into the heart of the of the of the Christian, and the result is very few respond to either message. Yeah. Both both are valid, but what we need, we well we, we if if there was more, let me just say it this way: if there was more ownership of mission, there'd be less opportunities for need. If there was more more ownership of mission, more mission warriors, maybe there would be less vacancy in the ministry. I think probably there's more Christians than there are vacancies, you know, in the world. Okay, so now we do need some to go out as missionaries across the across the pond, but you're not exempt if you don't go. You're not exempt from the war. You're not exempt from fighting the battle for the souls of lost just because you are not called to go out. We need also need we also need warriors at home to do the work. We need warriors to do the work in support of opening the hearts of others who may be called to go. Let me me just jump down to this last little section here, because I did want to get to this. Let me give you an example, a couple of examples. And I'm probably going to insult some people and maybe hurt some feelings that I don't intend to, but I'm going to name some names. And the first name I want to name is Jim Boyette. Jim Boyette was a mission warrior. You may not think of him that, but listen, Jim didn't go out as a missionary to another people. You know what he did? He stayed right here and owned the mission right here. Jim owned the mission here. He taught the Bible in many settings. He was a Bereans pastor. He was a discipleship pastor. He, he gave counsel to people that needed counsel. Whatever kind of counsel, he would meet and counsel with them. He married people. He did so much that you don't, may not even know the things that did Jim owned the mission right here. That's Jim. He did what was needed to be done when it needed to be done so that the church was ready to do what it needed to be doing when it was ready to do it. This building was maintained by Jim. I mean, he he didn't do all the work. He did a lot of the work, but he didn't do all of it. But he kept the property going. He kept, he kept the outpost going so that you could go and you could serve. That's what he did. He did what needed to be done when it needed to be done so that the church was ready to do what it needed to do when it was time. That's an example of somebody that owned the mission. Now, Jim and I never talked about him owning the mission. In fact, I used to give Jim a really hard time about what he did and didn't do and so on and so forth. And he knows that I love him dearly. I still love him dearly. I wish he was here. But let me tell you what, he owned the mission here. Let me give you a couple of other quick names because I'm going to get to a point and then I'll be finished. A couple of other names: um, Mitchell and Jody Newland. They own the mission. Chris and Lauren Cohen. They own the mission. Luke and Brendan Fleshman. They own the mission. And there's so many others. I've been looking. I've been looking at all the people that are serving in places that are already owning the mission here. So this is happening already, but we don't ever think about it as owning the mission. They, they're, they're just they just serve in ministry but they're actually owning the mission. But here's the point. Scrap all the names. Take all the names out. Let me just do this. The names that are important are not those names I mentioned. The names that are important are those who had invested their lives into those names that I named. Somebody invested their lives in Jim Boyette. You know who, you know who discipled Jim Boyette? You know who, who led Jim Boyette to Christ? You know who taught Jim Boyette the Bible? You know who gave Jim Boyette the passion to take care of the plant? The building plant that's the person that had bought the mission that inv- that owned the mission he owned the mission so much that he invested in somebody who did something owning the mission is not just you doing owning the mission is you investing in something somebody someplace who will do more than you beyond you further than you that's owning the mission when they were young, somebody invested in them, and when it was time, they sought a place to serve. They wanted to take up the fight and began to train for the war for souls because somebody did that for them. Who are we investing in? So I got, a t- I got homework. I'm, that's what I wanted to get to. I got homework for you. Real quick, find my homework list. Okay, three things. Evaluate yourself and ask yourself, do you own any part of the mission right now where the fire burns in you so much that it will not let you go. Do you own any of the mission right now? Number two, who invested in you in such a way that you can give them credit for your passion? I was at a missions con- or a pastors conference earlier this week, and one of the pastors made a statement, made a comment. They were introducing themselves and talking about his background and stuff, and he pointed out to a couple of minutes that they invested in me, they invested in me, they invested in me. I thought, well, that's really cool. They invested in this young man who was a, at the time a young man. Now, this now this man is now a middle-aged pastor who has been pastoring a church for, I think it was like 15 years. Who invested in you? Do you do you know who it was that actually invested their time in you, that made it? Because I remember the guy that discipled me when I, he said, "You want to get discipled?" I'm like, "No." I did. I said, no, I don't want to be a disciple. I, I got saved. That's all I need. I'm fine. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And then the church that I was at was preaching the Bible. And so the whole church invested in me in that sense, in that way. The pastors, they preached, they taught, they shared the Bible with me. And then this guy discipled me. And my passion to be in ministry and serve right now came from those guys. What 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 comes where do you where can you go back to and say this is who you don't have to name a name; just in, in your mind, can you say this person? I know who brought, I know who Julie invested was invested by. I know who invested in her, in, in Julie, to make a difference in her life. Who invested in you? The last thing, the last piece of homework assignment. This is the hardest one. Have you invested in someone in such a way that a spark is lit and the passion in them to own the mission? Have you invested in somebody that the spark is in them now on is flaming up so that they want to own the mission? That's part of owning the mission too. Okay, so we'll end there. We're five minutes over. It took a little longer than I thought, but that's okay. That's where I wanted to be. Uh, we'll finish up. We'll we'll get to the next of this uh, next week and uh, then uh, I hope you can make it to the uh, the the vision conference um and uh you know come on monday and tuesday during the day if i mean you ought to come to hear everything if you have a chance but uh, i think i'm i think i'm scheduled nine o'clock or something like that in the first speaker i don't know why but they want me to do it then so that's when it is but anyway any questions on this on this thing this idea of owning the mission does it make sense Have you ever heard anything like this before A few of you? Most of you? Okay. All right. Well, let's pray and we'll be out of here. Father in heaven,